Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I've been preaching through 1 Corinthians this summer, and this is our third sermon from this particular passage, but I've taken some time in it. Number one, it's the longest chapter in 1 Corinthians, but also Paul begins the chapter by saying, of first importance. So I think if Paul is saying, this is the most important thing I've got to say to you, I think it's important for us to take a look at what it is that he has to say to us. The title of the message is, Celebrate Your Inheritance. I don't know if you've ever thought about inheritance. I don't know if you're hoping someday for a great inheritance, but in studying this week, I've, I've read about some peculiar inheritances. Uh, Luis Carlos, for instance, I guess he got mad at his family, but towards the end of his life, he just took out the phone book and picked 70 names at random and left his estate to these 70 people who had no idea who he was until they get a phone call or a visit. Sandra West, 37 years old, passed away, leaving most of her $3 million estate to her brother with one final request. I want to be buried in my baby blue Ferrari. Leona Helmsley, perhaps the most famous on the list, left $100,000 to her chauffeur. She left $3 million to a caretaker that would take care of her final resting place and her husband who had died before her, but left $12 million to her dog. There was a homeless man in Bolivia that ran from the police because he thought they were coming to arrest him for his drug addiction. They have never found the man who was to inherit $6 million from his ex-wife. One of the funniest was, or most bizarre, was in Hong Kong. Perhaps the wealthiest woman in all of Asia left $13 billion to her guru who had promised her that she would live forever. Don't you think about that a minute. If somebody comes to you and says, I can make it so that you live forever, you just got to leave everything to me in your will. You ought to do the math and figure out this guy's planning on getting paid off. I don't think he's going to keep his promise. Perhaps the one that I heard that was the more, most like what Jesus has done was a man called one of his trusted assistants into his office and said, you know, you've worked for me for 20 years. You've been a faithful assistant. I want you to know I've included you in my will. And he said, in fact, the money's already in the bank, ready for you at the reading of my will. But just so that you know the promise is real, every year you're going to get a check like this one. And he handed him a check for several thousand dollars and said, this is the interest on the money that I have deposited in a bank account. Paul's talked about the fact that because of Christ, because of his death and his resurrection, we have hope. It says that he's the first fruits of this offering that's coming from the same crop, and that's us. Because he has been raised from the dead, we're going to be raised from the dead. But I want you to understand, as we close out this passage, first, change is necessary. Let me just begin by reading in verse 50 of chapter 15, Paul says, Now, I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, 
nor does the perishable inherit the perishable, imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. So understand something. If you're a child of God, there's a change that will take place. What does Paul say? He says, now, you've got to understand something. I've been teaching you for the first 49 verses, and he's mentioned it earlier in 1 Corinthians. There's coming a day when you're going to see God face to face. But you can't wear what you got on. Change has to take place. He says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Literally, that was just a euphemism for man or woman's kind. What you look like now is not what's going to inherit the kingdom of God. He said, in fact, the perishable cannot put on the imperishable. The word perishable means decay or ruin. You ever gone to the refrigerator and pull something out and said, what's the date (laughs) that this is considered considered perishable? You know? My wife and I, for for most of our married life, we've had this rule. If you open up the refrigerator and you pull something out and you're kind of going, you reckon this is still good? Our rule is, when in doubt, throw it out. You know, it's like, honey, smell this. (laughs) Or what's worse is you take a bite of it and say, oh, this is terrible. Here, taste this. (laughs) Now, I still don't understand why sour cream has an expiration date. Isn't it already sour? But here's what Paul's saying. Listen, you have an expiration date. You are perishable. This body that we have is in a state of decay. Teenagers, I know that you don't understand that, but just look at me. I'm falling apart. I got some good news. It won't always be that way. This body has an expiration date. It was created to live and last for, you know, 70, 80, 100 Maybe 110 years, 120 years. I mean, you know, whoever the oldest person. But that, compared to eternity, is like that. In fact, the Bible says you're but a vapor. Now, you're not going to be able to do this tomorrow, but this winter, when you go outside and you go and you see your breath, I want you to think, that's my life. (laughs) Compared to eternity. So Paul's saying, listen, your body's perishing, it's decaying, it's ruining but I want you to understand something. He said, in fact, I'm going to tell you a mystery. And he's used this word in 1 Corinthians. It's kind of interesting because it basically means I'm about to tell you something that I hadn't told you before. Now, there's other times he's saying, you know, you already should have known this. I'm reminding you of something. Let me tell you by way of reminder. But a few times he says, let me tell you a mystery. Literally, to shut the mouth. This is something that you're just going to, you can't believe it because you've never heard that before. He basically says, I got good news. And what he says is a verse that should be on every wall of every nursery in the country. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. What's Paul mean? Some of y'all are a little slow. That had to make it all the way to the back. What did Paul, what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, listen, you're all going to be changed. Here's the good news. He's already mentioned this, but listen, if you die in Christ, if you're a believer... And you've gone on to be with the Lord. Some of the ones, especially that's why he has to write in Thessalonians, some of them are thinking, wait a minute, that person, weren't they a Christian? And they're dead. And Jesus hadn't come back yet. Paul's saying, no, he's coming back. 
And they're not going to miss out on anything. Their body is going to be changed. Regardless of what state it was in when they died, it's going to be changed. But he says, even those of you who may remain. And Paul's not speaking, obviously, to anybody of his generation. He's speaking, perhaps, to people of our generation. If Jesus comes back tomorrow, the dead in Christ will rise first. But it says the rest of us will be caught up together with them. But we're all going to be changed. And it's interesting, the description he gives of the change. He says, first of all, in a moment. This isn't going to take a long time. In fact, it's the word that we get the word Adam from. It means that which can't be divided. He said, literally, you know, you can divide time. We divide time into years and months and weeks and days and hours and minutes and seconds. I don't know if there's a division of a second. I've heard of like nanoseconds or split seconds. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that quick, literally in an instant, in a moment, even he gives a description in the twinkling of an eye. And this word literally means to throw or to hurl something, a quick motion. Folks, listen, when Jesus comes back, we're going to be changed. Here's the good news. What are we going to be changed to? We're going to be changed to be just like him. Does that mean we're all going to look like him? I don't think so. I think we're going to look a little bit like we do. What did Jesus look like? He wasn't immediately recognizable. He had a glorified body, and yet he still looked like Jesus. If you're hoping you're going to look like, you know, Brad Pitt or something, guys, I'm sorry. May not. We're all going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And then he gives a description. It's going to happen at the last trumpet. Paul writes more about this to the Thessalonians. But he literally says, you know, when Christ comes back, you're going to hear this this quavering this reverberation that jesus mentions it over in matthew the last trumpet when that last trumpet sounds the dead will raise be raised imperishable and will all be changed the perishable what must put on the imperishable i love that just just here's what it means to put on means to be invested with clothing and what Paul is saying is, basically, this body that you've got that's dying, you can't wear that to heaven. You ever stood in front of your closet and just said, I don't have anything to wear? Which amazes me in our culture, you know, girls especially. I'm sorry, but, you know, your mom is thinking, why is it taking you so long to get dressed? I don't have anything to wear. You've got a closet full of clothes, but you've got nothing to wear. Well, Paul says we must put on. Literally, we're going to be invested with clothing, because we can't wear this to heaven. You're going to have to, the perishable will have to put on the imperishable. The mortal will have to put on immortality. Listen, next time you look at yourself in the mirror, I want you to think about this. I can't wear that to heaven. God's going to do something about that. For some of us, that's real good news. <laughs> We're all going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Change is necessary Next thing is victory is promised. Good news, folks. Let me read verse 54 and following. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal would have put on immortality, then, we will, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is moving now from the fact that the perishable has got to put on imperishable. He says, all right, when that happens, when the perishable, when what is decaying 
puts on that which is undecaying, that will last forever. Folks, we can't even get our mind wrapped around forever, <laughs> you know. It just doesn't make sense to us. That's why when the psalmist in, uh, uh, says, you know, after 10,000 years we'll have no less days, the songwriter says, in amazing grace we'll have no less days. You know what that means? That means after 10,000 years, which seems like eternity to us, again, it's like that. Because the clock hadn't ticked. The calendar hadn't moved. It's eternity. So when this perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal has put on immortality, then will come about the saying, Oh, death, or excuse me, come about the saying, Death is swallowed up in victory. love what the meaning of the word swallow. It literally means to drink down in one gulp. We used to do this contest at, our, at the gathering on Tuesday night. I hadn't done it while I'm getting older, but I used to be able to drink a thing of chocolate milk in under four seconds. And it's hard to find little things of chocolate milk anymore. Some of them are coming in pouches now, which I think is very unnatural. If you try to drink something out of one of those little straws real fast, this vein kind of pokes out on you, it's not pretty. So we'd go to Cracker Barrels where we had to find the milk, and we'd go get it and bring it over, and we would ask students. I'd challenge them to this race. And, y'all, it was so funny. There were kids that was trying so hard to, to beat me. I would see kids literally with chocolate milk coming out of their nose. They're trying to drink it so fast. I think one kid cheated and beat me, but most of the time I won. Under four seconds, all right? But that's the picture I want you to get when Paul's talking about death has been swallowed up. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead in one gulp, death's gone. It has been swallowed up. Death used to have a victory. And for you and I with our finite thinking, when you stand at a gravesite of a loved one, you think death has won. It has not. The victory that death used to enjoy is gone. Now, Paul's going to impact a little bit more meaning of that. But understand, for the believer, it is truly true that Paul says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Literally, where is your conquest? Where is your triumph? It seems like death wins. But for the believer, it simply means that I'm now in the presence of God. Death didn't win. Jesus won. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Some translations have, oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? But it's the same word. It's a word for death. Oh, death, where is your sting? The word sting literally would be for like a, a, a bee sting or maybe a viper's bite, the bite of a snake. And when bees sting us, my understanding is they leave the stinger inside you. And it hurts. <laughs> Here's the picture I want you to get of now. Jesus Christ took that stinger on the cross. And now the bee doesn't have a stinger anymore. Death comes at us and bounces off and can't leave anything in us as a believer. Why? Because the stinger's gone. Satan has become declawed and defanged at the cross. So that's why Paul now says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You have lost it. Christ bore the whole of death's sting so that I will bear none of it. That's the good news of the gospel. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? And then he goes on. The sting of death is sin. What death, the sting comes if you have never had your sins forgiven. If you're not a child of God, death still has a sting. 
It's called sin. And the power of sin is the law. Romans puts it this way. 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see the difference? For the non-believer, yeah, death gets a victory. What is caused at death of a non-believer is eternal separation from God. Death still has a sting. It's because of sin. But because sin has been dealt with at the cross, my sin's forgiven because I'm a child of God. I've trusted Him as my Lord and Savior. Because of that, the stinger's gone. The victory's been swallowed up. There is no victory anymore for death. And so now I, I live in the rest of Romans 6, 23. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul goes on to say, Thanks be to God who has given the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you got your Bibles, I just want you to flip to, Rome, to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, just one verse, but I want you to see this. Jot this down if you don't have your Bible with you. The end of the book, really. I want you to see what's coming. Revelation 21. Let me just give you context by beginning in verse 1, but really verse 4 is the one I want you to see. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the heaven... The first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Then verse 4, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain because the first things have passed away. Folks, again, it's hard for us to get it on this side of eternity. The death doesn't win. The next time you're at a funeral, somebody that you know they had trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, folks, it truly is a celebration. Some call it a homegoing. Because what? What do we know about that person now? They're in no longer any pain. They're not crying. They're not suffering. What does the Bible say? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You and I grieve. You and I occasionally, we're walking through that valley of the shadow of death. But folks, that's why God comforts us even at funerals. Be comforted by that fact. And then the last thing, just the last verse. And I want to call this kind of the so what I put in your notes. Live like you're related. Because all of this is true. Paul's 15 chapters into 1 Corinthians. Let me remind you, Corinth was a terrible town. Perhaps the most wicked in the known world of that town. Of that time. A bunch of whiners and complainers had even found their way into the church. And a lot of misteaching was taking place in the church. And so Paul is saying at the end, just this last verse, and that is, listen, because all this is true, live like you're related. Years ago, I was walking in the mall with my daughter, and I was holding her hand. I wasn't paying attention, but she looked at me, and she said, you walk like this. And she started walking with her feet way out like this. She's making fun of the way I walk. And I remembered, you know what? I used to make fun of the way my father walked. 
Because he, you know, some people were pigeon-toed. He was just the opposite. I kind of walk. I got these big size 13s. I just kind of throw them out when I walk. Why is that? Well, because I'm related to my dad. And students, I know this scares you. You're going to grow up to be a lot like your parents. Back when Steve Urkel was popular, you know, I walked in one day with my pants hiked up. I said, who do I look like? They said, you look like grandmother. So a lot of what I look like, a lot of what I act like, it's really a good thing. It's because I'm my parents' child. But you know what? As a child of God, if you really are a child of God, people ought to see a family resemblance. When you come to faith in Christ, people ought to ask you questions like, why are you acting that way now? Now, I heard someone on TV one time say, be odd for God. No, don't do that. That's... <laughs> but live like you're related, okay? Live like there's a family resemblance. So Paul says, last verse, therefore. Okay? Just one little note. Anytime you're reading the Bible and you read, see the word therefore, you need to stop a minute and figure out what he's just said. Because the point he's making in this last verse is based on what he's just said. The preacher way of saying that is when you see therefore, find out what it's there for. Okay? So Paul says, therefore, my beloved brethren, four quick things. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So Paul says, therefore, therefore, first, be steadfast. Be steadfast. The word literally means sedentary. <laughs> and that scares a lot of people. It's like, whoa, time out. I don't want to be sedentary. And I've warned about people becoming pupitatives, where we just go to church, kind of occupy spots, kind of like couch potatoes at home. Where, you know, maybe you've seen your dad do that. It's kind of like i got the remote control and I'm not moving. But at times we need to say, you know what, don't just do something. Stay there. And he's going to talk about doing in a minute. But here's what Paul's saying to the Corinthian believers. He's saying, be steadfast. Don't get shaken by every new thing that comes on the horizon. And when people come and tell you something that doesn't square with Scripture, don't move. Be steadfast. Literally, being seated, settled, and firmly situated. I want you to think of it like this. You're at a concert or a sporting event, and you've got the best seat in the house. You're not moving. If you need something from the concession stand, you're getting somebody else to get it for you. If you've got to go to the bathroom, you will wait. Why? Because you're in the best seat. Listen, as a child of God, you're in the best seat there is. Be steadfast. Then he uses a word similar to that. Be immovable. Literally be unmoved. You know what? If you know you're in the right seat, you don't have to move. If you're on an airplane. you got a seat. You're looking at your boarding pass. I'm in the right seat. This is going to happen. Somebody's going to come up and say, I think you're in my seat. You say, no. There's my boarding pass. And they'll go, oh, I'm over here. Now, it is a little scary when you're on a small plane and the stewardess comes up and says, before takeoff, we're going to need you to move from this side to the other side. I'm thinking, okay, all right, I'm moving then. The plane's not going to take off with me on this side of the plane. They're distributing the weight, apparently. That happened to me. Be steadfast. Be immovable, literally. Totally immobile and motionless. Folks, what does that mean? God's still got a plan for your life, but it means this. You know what? 
I am not moving. I know whom I believed in. I know that I can trust that Jesus is faithful. So when somebody comes along and tries to tell me some lie about God, I'm not moving. I'm banking it all right here. Then he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He doesn't just want you to become a few potato. He's got something for you to do. Ephesians 2, 8 says, for by grace you're saved through faith. It's nothing to do with you. Verse 10 says, but you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God's got a plan for your life. He's got something he wants you to do. So Paul says, always abounding, literally, to be in excess. Make sure that what you're doing for God is for God. And you do it in an abounding fashion. And then the last thing, knowing that your toil is not in vain. What a comfort. You know what? There's going to be things you do for God that you're going to think nobody noticed. I had somebody tell me one time, I don't mind being a servant. I don't like being treated like a servant. Lady in a church in another town. She just didn't like the fact that she wasn't getting patted on the back. You know what? Sometimes when you're a servant, you'll get treated like a servant. But who are you doing it for? If you're doing it for the approval of man, then that thank you got that you get is really all you're getting. But if you're doing it for God, he doesn't miss a thing. In fact, in Revelation 22, verse 12, here's what Jesus says. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. To render to every man according to what he's done. Listen, students, adults, take comfort in the fact that what you're doing from God is noticed by God. Let me close by clarifying. Listen. I don't do things for God so that he will love me. I don't do things for God so that maybe it will earn me some favor with God. No, listen, my salvation is based on nothing I've done. It's based on what he did at the cross. And it's by my faith in that. So I do things for God not so that he will love me. I do things for God because he loves me. It's the fruit of the salvation. In fact, Paul in Galatians says, The fruit is things like love, joy, peace, and so forth. Listen, God's got a plan for your life. You need to be asking him, God, what do you want me to do? But I'm doing not so that he'll love me. I'm doing because he loves me. Always abounding and knowing that nothing you do for God is empty. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, I thank you that that is true. I thank you that there's coming a day when we will see Jesus face to face. And your word tells us that we're going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And God, there's times on planet Earth that we get confused, we get discouraged. We think that death is one. We see good things happening to bad people, and we're wondering, we're on the right side. God, thank you that as a child of God, I can be steadfast and immovable. And I could pour my life into ministry, abounding in work for God, knowing that none of it is empty. None of it is in vain. So, Lord, help us to live that this week. God, I pray we get noticed. I pray for students that are going to head back to school this week or next, that, Lord, their friends around them would notice a difference in their life. And we would be able to give the reason for the hope within us. Thank you for that truth in Jesus' name.